0: Hey, good afternoon. Welcome to International Affairs Episode 4. My name is Jeremy here with co host Matt Thomas. We're here to enrich your understanding of international affairs in in issues of uh, intelligence and national security. Today we have a discussion on Moldova, Transnistria, and how that all plays into the larger picture of what's happening with Russia, Ukraine. And Matt is really up to speed on on these issues. Uh, So, Matt, Thanks for kind of taking us down this uh, trail. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about, broadly, Moldova, trans- what is Transnistria, and how does that play into Russia-Ukraine?
1: Right. So if you've never heard of Moldova or Transnistria, you're certainly not alone. There are uh, There's a dearth of, of news coverage related to those countries, and they've kind of been a political backwater for, for a long time. And so... Moldova's political history really goes back, uh, you can go all the way back to the the era of competition between the Russian and Ottoman empires, and it changed hands back and forth and back and forth throughout the 1800s um, leading into the 20th century. It it eventually becomes part of, of Romania, and then around the time of the beginning of World War II, you have in part of the, the deals with Stalin and, and, and Hitler with the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, which was a, a Nazi-Soviet non-aggression pact where they also agreed to carve up Eastern Europe into areas that they were authorized to invade, without asking those people, of course. All right? Right, okay. <laughs> you, know, you have uh, what happens to, to Moldova is that Moldova, then known as Bessarabia, uh, is is going to get invaded by the Soviet Union in order that then the Nazis can come in and co-opt the Romanian government, which is afraid of the communists, into an alliance with, with Nazi Germany because Nazi Germany wants the oil on the Black Sea coast. And so now Moldova is stuck in, in the Soviet Union uh, through the rest of the 20th century. So that kind of gives you background into how it came to be part of uh, the, the Soviet, uh, Soviet sphere, right? Okay. And it really goes uh, throughout the Soviet period in being sort of this backwater, much like it had been under the, under the Russian Empire as well. So under the Russian Empire, it was even a place where political prisoners could be exiled. The, the writer Pushkin was sent there. Uh, for a time in the 1870s, right, this was uh, kind of a a poor agricultural region, not something that anybody really cared very much about, but it was strategically located, right, and and it was far away from from the center, so you could send people out there.
0: Okay, strategically uh, located mm-hmm. because of its coastline, because of
1: right. So modern day Moldova is landlocked, but Bessarabia then did have a coast on the Black Sea which is now part of modern-day Ukraine. And uh, it was located on the borderlands between Ukraine and Romania. Okay, And so that is where it's located today. Modern Moldova is landlocked. Um, But there is this this coastline along Ukraine uh, with the Black Sea. And this is something that the Russians have been interested in.
0: Okay, so this is... We can get into... It's... But it, it's a small territory, small state that has not been paid much attention to over time, but still an old, I guess, this breakaway. Let's talk about Transnistria as mm-hmm. this old Soviet stronghold. Mm-hmm. And it's a breakaway region of Moldova, not recognized by the international community, but they are a relatively autonomous region that, Believe have their own currency, their own government. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. So, so Transnistria's history goes back to uh, the fall of the Soviet Union, and and so when the Soviets uh, are are collapsing, right, various republics within the Soviet Union are are declaring their independence, and Moldova was not alone uh, in this. It it joined in with all the others. So, in 1991, Moldova declares its independence. There's this long process. Between 1991 and 1994, where things are kind of shaky and, uh, and the country is sort of trying to just survive. Okay. And, and so you have two different autonomous regions within, within the country that are not... You know, ethnically Moldovan, Uh, and and the Moldovans are are closely related to the Romanians. Their languages are almost mutually intelligible, right? Um, So you have in in Transnistria, off to the east along the Dniester River, uh, you have uh, a majority Slavic population. Lots of Russians had been moved there during uh, during the Soviet period. Right, because okay. uh, Stalin had a policy of sending out uh, Russian people to Russify various regions in uh, in the Soviet Union. So there's still a lot of Russians that are living there. And on top of that, uh, Transnistria is a region that has really remained uh, very much heavily under the influence of the Communist Party. Right. So so that's Transnistria. The other one is a predominantly Turkic group kind of related to uh, related to the the Turks from Turkey, right, and also Crimean Tatars and and some of those other Turkic groups, and and these are the Gagauz, uh, strange name, okay. uh, but the uh, the region Gagauzia, uh, and that's my best attempt at pronouncing it. But uh, uh, that area is a very much still pro Russian autonomous region within Moldova. Now, it also tried to break away around 1991, but it agreed to remain part of Moldova. Now, one of the crucial questions lying in all of this is that um, much of these activities related to the, the breakaway regions was not necessarily something that... Uh, happened from the grassroots, right? It, it's not really a sort of national self-determination issue as much as it is a, you know, manipulation by then the communist party and, and still today uh, pro-Russian parties in, in the region.
0: And so uh, that, that, that's mm-hmm. what was going So that's what was going on is mm-hmm. a, a bunch of foreign influence by right. Russia to help these people and, these autonomous regions, Transnistria and the other, really hold on to, not hold on to, but uh, kind of be holden to Mother Russia.
1: Right. And even to be ultimately be
0: reabsorbed into Russia. Is there any benefit mm-hmm. for them, the people in these regions, for having ties to Russia? Many are still Russian citizens. Okay. Um, they hold
1: Russian passports. Uh, many are still also dual citizens so they hold russian passports and whatever other uh, other passports are are useful to them right so this is uh, kind of the direction that things have have gone but even in transnistria some people are starting to realize hey we're just kind of a wasteland that that nobody has cared about for a very long time mm-hmm. and and maybe this isn't worth fighting for
0: right,
1: right? um so this has been an ongoing issue for about 30 years, and it might surprise people to know that this goes all the way back, even before Vladimir Putin, it goes all the way back to Boris Yeltsin with uh, these protracted conflicts that stall out, and then you have indefinitely sitting there Russian peacekeeping troops. um, Okay. That are in Transnistria now. mm, That are in Transnistria now. There's about 1,500 to 2,000 currently.
0: Okay. And so with Transnistria bordering current day Ukraine, this becomes an important part of the puzzle and what's happening with Russia and Ukraine and the aggression and the war that Russia started. What benefit? So we have these sympathetic, we have these Russian peacekeeping troops in Transnistria. We have a population that has some sympathies to Russia and the Russian government, the way of life. What are the current threats, and what what does Transnistria provide to Russia that Russia wants that's going to help them carry out and complete their mission with Ukraine?
1: All right. So as it currently stands, Transnistria itself, um, to a certain degree, can be used as a base of covert operations and, and whatnot into Ukraine. But at, at the status quo currently, it is not really a practical area where they could really stage troops and, uh, and cross into Ukraine from the west. Uh, that being said, they, they do have significant arms depots and, and other critical military infrastructures in Transnistria. But what's currently there isn't enough to actually launch any kind of operation. So Transnistria and the other republic of Gagauzia uh, are are important as as kind of destabilizing uh, regions in Moldova itself okay which then leads to some of the recent news um that has been kind of obscure but um of of possibility of Russian enacted regime change in Moldova in order to kind of be able to use that as more of a base of operations. So in order to explain that, we probably would need to get into some of the political history of, of Moldova post-independence. Okay, let's, um, let's go there. So Moldova has really struggled to find its identity in uh in the 30 years since uh the fall of the Soviet Union and and some of this has to do with the kind of loose identity that it it never really had okay right so the the lo- the Moldovan population strongly identifies with Romania because they're essentially step brothers right, right. <laughs> All, not even as far away as cousins uh, they're basically step brothers here and and so they strongly identify with uh, with Romania, and their languages are very similar, right? But you have so many different other ethnic groups in the region that have ties with Turkey, or have ties with Russia, or you know various other other local groups within the Black Sea region, and and so it's had a hard time finding any identity. It also is one of the poorest countries in Europe, mm-hmm. and. And has had a weak agricultural economy for a fairly long time here. And it was further set back with lots of corruption. And as a result, Moldova has been kind of a, a basket case. Okay. So much right, so much so that it actually was ranked as the least happy country in the world wow. somewhere back in around two thousand six or something like that. Sounds right? miserable. Right. Yeah. It was It was kind of a blighted place for a very long time. And and this rampant political corruption and the apathy that the population had felt at that point in time really kind of kept Moldova from aligning in any one direction or the other, which was exactly what Russia wanted, right? Russia wanted to be able to have a destabilized Moldova that doesn't have any kind of national identity that is is sort of floating here and there. That
0: can be kind of molded and manipulated into the Russian palm. Exactly.
1: Right. And so so this is the status quo going up uh, up until really about five or six years ago. And you had domination by pro-Russian parties, such as the so-called Democratic Party, which was really kind of a, a socialist party as well as a party now consolidated and it had been two parties, the socialists and the communists now consolidated into the block of socialists and communists. Okay. Right. Uh, As well as a, you know, fugitive oligarch led party called the shore party uh, named for its oligarch leader, uh, Ilan shore. Okay. And, uh, and these are all kind of pro Russian parties that had dominated the Moldovan political scene. But around 2018 you get the rise of a center right pro european pro western pro nato uh party called um Action and Solidarity right? okay. and this party unites with another uh, like-minded party to create one umbrella and and actually manages to win uh, the parliamentary elections in 2021 and the presidential election the year prior right so so now Moldova has a different kind of, of leadership uh, under uh, current president Maya Sandu. And, and Sandu's uh, action and solidarity party is, uh, is moving Moldova in a direction that Russia does not like at all. Pro-West, pro-Europe. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. And initially, the, the Moldovans start out kind of... Trying to be very gradual and careful with, with that transition. But it turns out that that ends up being a little bit of a mistake because it allows more time for, excuse me, uh, for Russia to be able to take action to manipulate the country. Okay. Right. So you fast forward now to December of last year, and Moldova has come out against the war in Ukraine is speaking out against the war in Ukraine. And, and in December of last year, Russia significantly cuts gas flows to Moldova.
0: Okay. Another energy play by Russia. Okay.
1: Exactly. So Russia has this history of, of using energy supplies as a tool of diplomatic leverage and really ultimately political blackmail. Sure. Um, and it's no coincidence that it happens in December. Right, mm-hmm. the beginning of winter time. Right, people need to be able to heat their homes, and and so this is going to put massive political pressure on the leadership of that country. One of the things that they had failed to do in their first year since uh, since taking a power in in Moldova through the uh, winning the electorate. Right, the Action and Solidarity Party did not act aggressively enough to divest from Russian energy resources.
0: Okay.
1: And, and so Gazprom, which is the, the primary Russian gas uh, company, it's led by an oligarch under Putin's circle. It, it's a nationalized company, more or less. Sure. Right? And, um, and so Gazprom still had a monopoly on gas supply into Moldova. In December of last year, they cut that supply... By fifty-six and a half percent. Okay. Which dramatically raised prices while reducing flows into Moldova. This, of course, led to mass protests in the street, which were coordinated by Ilan Shore's Shore Party. Okay. And the timing of these things was rather suspicious. Right. right. Yeah. And um and so Shore is is suspected of, of working closely with the The Russian uh, government, and this is nothing new. This is something that the, uh, the Moldovans have have exp- have thought for a very long time, sure. right? So you have these orchestrated mass protests connected with energy um, rising costs of energy and, and, and reduced supply. The mm-hmm. same
0: time that a bunch of news in Europe if I'm not wrong was coming out in a bunch of scare about rising gas prices exactly because Mm -hmm. Russia was cutting supply to all of Eastern Europe or through through to the, to the rest of Europe. Exactly. So this is around the same time. This is around the same time.
1: And so, so you have these mass protests, uh, coming out and, and they're all pro Russia, anti EU, anti NATO, um, and, and you have this political agitation that is, is happening in the streets. And what many thought at the time, and may well have been, is that there would be a, an attempted coup based on uh, these, these kinds of protests. And okay. that such a plan may still be in the works. We can't rule it out yet. Uh, we can neither really confirm it nor rule it out. Uh, at, at this juncture based on what's publicly available knowledge.
0: Sure, but that would be mm-hmm. beneficial to Russia mm-hmm. is to create all of this political instability, unrest in the streets, let fester, mm-hmm. and push this idea of energy. Current Moldovan government is is hurting you by not allowing mm-hmm. you to have affordable energy. Exactly. And, and so maybe in Moscow, they're thinking of it pushing this coup this covert action
1: exactly and on top of that you have um you have as well the anti-war side of things and so shore and his party uh are basically accusing sandu for for wanting to align with nato and cooperating more with nato they're basically accusing her of being a warmonger and all of this kind of thing uh, firmly on the side of, of Russia in in its activities in Ukraine.
0: Sure. but mm-hmm. I, So in the news um, end of last year, first of this year, uh, President Biden met with the Moldovan president a couple of times, I think a month or two apart. Mm-hmm. And we've pledged, I believe, a little over $300 million in security assistance support. Mm-hmm. And we're attempting to provide and build additional cooperation with Moldova mm-hmm. to, what, to, to push back against supporting democracy and also pushing back against Russia? Its actions uh, in Ukraine
1: right. and, and sort of uh, strategically speaking, we're looking at, um, you know, we have Romania is a current NATO member right on the border with, uh, with Ukraine and Moldova. And on top of that, we have uh, it is within our interest as the United States to support a, a pro Western democratic country in Eastern Europe on that borderland kind of on that hinterland and, and to prevent anything that Russia might do in in order to reverse that change
0: sure because i so moldova poland romania all of these these countries that are on the border you know if russia is allowed to push mm-hmm. or does push through ukraine these these guys are next right and so it mm-hmm. benefits us and it's goes into uh, grand strategy and, mm-hmm. and exactly okay
1: right so uh you mentioned uh as well um that if russia is able to expand these these certain countries are next and we do know based on leaked documents uh that the russians basically had this plan uh going back to 2021 that um, once they took over ukraine then they wanted to be able to fully absorb belarus and moldova by 2030 and in the case of moldova the same tools that they're using currently were what they hoped to eventually be able to to make that regime change now they're looking more long term um at that point in moldova uh so at at that juncture they hadn't stalled out yet in ukraine because they hadn't reinvaded it yet right but um that they were looking at using energy supply as, as that tool of political manipulation, using mass protests in order, to, uh, in order to get votes of no confidence in parliament, new elections, manipulate those elections, control the outcome, and, and get kind of a, a solidly pro-Russian um, government established again once more in Moldova, okay. as had been for most of the previous decade Right. And, and so they're, they're trying to manipulate it in, in that direction at that time. Now, of course, with, uh, with the current state of affairs, with Ukraine kind of being bogged down, then you, you would need first, it, it kind of depends on which objectives they seek. Right. Uh-huh. So if they want to. You know, kind of create this. Uh, there's been talk before about a a Novorossia, um, basically this area wherein Russia takes over all of the Black Sea coastline in in Ukraine, but then kind of leaves alone the rest of it. Okay. Um, that uh, if they go with that track, then they can connect Transnistria with that if they take Odessa in in southwestern Ukraine along the Black Sea coast. And then r- absorb all of that territory. Okay, but if they want to absorb all of Ukraine and they want to have an a base of operations from the uh, from the west, right? Then Moldova, located southwest of Ukraine, is is really an ideal spot for them to be able to stage more troops, more supplies, uh, more military depots more hospitals and, and all of that kind of thing in order to be able to kind of come at Ukraine from the back door okay. if, if they so choose. And in that case, they need regime change in, in Moldova in order to accomplish that. Um, what that looks like is probably going to be based off of, um, you know, the standard order of, of little green men right. and, and, street right. protests and these, these kinds of things that the strategies that Russia has typically used uh, along with economic crisis. Right,
0: which we, we mm-hmm. typically refer to as covert action. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, that's really just the Russian government's way of life. It's right. nothing special or particular. They just go out and throw everything, mm-hmm. throw everything at the problem to achieve their end goal and complete their mission.
1: Right. And then they try to gaslight the rest of the world into saying, "Oh, this action was legal because of X, Y, Z legal fiction that they concoct themselves." Right. Right. And and then it, it ignores the the sovereignty of other nations, and and usually creates some kind of um, false story about that other country being some kind of fascist oppressor oppressor of of various minorities and 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 whatnot. It, Standard playbook. Right.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: So that's fascinating. So Moldova and Belarus are kind of slated as the countries that are next, right? Uh in in Russia's in Russia's playbook, which should have Poland, Slovakia and uh Romania very nervous.
0: Right. Yeah. And then you know, we've got the staging of tactical, tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus, mm-hmm. uh which is a recent threat and or current development that's ongoing. Mhm. Um and so Transnistria, that, that pocket of Russian sympathy is important and critical and our support, the West's support of Moldova and the other countries that are second in line is also critical. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Right. So, so Moldova plays, plays that piece in the puzzle, right? It's been that kind of often neglected. Nobody's heard about it. It doesn't really make the news. And uh, at the end of the day, it's one of those places that covert action is easily done in the dark. sure and And so you have the ability, if you take Moldova right, to enter Ukraine through the back door. you can also use um, the the Black Sea coastline as as sort of an entrance there, right uh, so for for war strategy, it makes sense to try to. Uh, take on Moldova. Um, on the other hand, right, you would be adding kind of like in Crimea, economic problems to Russia by doing so, because the Moldovan economy, although it has improved um, since uh, since this new government has has taken uh, has taken charge, it's still developing and it's still weak. Right, um, it's primarily agricultural. And it, it doesn't have much of an industrial base. It's been negatively impacted by the conflict in Transnistria uh, and, and by the political corruption that, that plagued the country benefiting Russia for the past 30 years. So while it is considered to be um, a, a candidate for eventual EU membership, which is something that Russia would also like to reverse, it's really a long way off and it would be a, an economic liability for for Russia to take that on but they've shown that that doesn't really concern them when they took over crimea uh, right. as well and crimea existed almost entirely on subsidies from the ukrainian government for most of the period post independence so clearly that motive uh, doesn't really play much of a role right uh, economic issues don't really stop the russians there
0: so, okay. mm-hmm.
1: so vis-a-vis Ukraine, this particular, uh, this particular area is, is something that has Kiev concerned and has Bucharest concerned. Because Romania, that's on their northeastern border. And the closer the Russians get to them, they know what communism was like. They know what it's like to be part of uh, a a world dominated by totalitarian regimes. They lived under Ceausescu, who made Romania practically into the North Korea of Europe. They don't, they want anything but going back to that. And so they have been a, a, strong, a staunchly pro-Western, uh, pro-American member of NATO and the EU since they fixed their own corruption problems about a decade ago. And not that they're completely resolved, but you know, by and large, uh, they were have been able to fix their economy. They've been able to to make a lot of progress to where they eventually got accepted into both organizations. And Romania has been one of the few uh, that has consistently been hitting its defense um, requirements for being a member of NATO. Right, the expenditures and and other. Uh, other aspects of what we expect from NATO members, Romania has been one of the stalwart ones that continues to, to do this because they understand the Russian threat. And so to have the Russians operating in Moldova more boldly and at, to a wider extent than already in Transnistria really frightens them. Uh, so... So it matters for our, our allies on the eastern flank of of NATO, right? And it matters for us because again, you have the issue of sovereignty, right? And and respect for sovereignty of nations. You have uh you have the the question of energy supplies in Europe. You don't want to destabilized Europe, right? And on top of that, it is uh, part of the, the military strategy related to Ukraine itself. And so looking at those particular issues, all the consequences that we talked about from the war in, in Ukraine, everything from, uh, again, the sovereignty of nations, respecting human rights and independence, on down to grain and food supply for the world and even fertilizer supply, um, you have... With all of that tied in, Moldova becomes a piece to that puzzle that could really knock the whole thing down. It's, it's a potential domino here. If Moldova can be used as a base of operations from the West back into Ukraine, then that complicates the war significantly, which also has those wide-ranging effects on the global economy including things like grain for starving people in Africa and fertilizer for American farmers.
0: Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do we know about, and it may, not, it may be limited up until this point, but it's, it'd be kind of interesting to really watch China and China's involvement in Moldova and Transnistria mm-hmm. and see what starts to develop as far as furthering ties and relations, uh, and then also watch some of China in these other uh, bordering countries mm-hmm. and it kind of get an idea, you know, those talks between Xi Jinping and Putin mm-hmm. kind of start to get a little more clarity on what those talks meant if we see China moving in Moldova in any sort of way. Right. Right.
1: And, and so at, at this juncture, um, China is likely to try to look at Moldova as a place for potential investment and, and things like that. Um, it itself is firmly on the Russian camp, uh, with regard to not really caring about national sovereignty or individual freedom or, or anything of that nature. Um, but it does look at Moldova as a potential market for its investments, a potential place to um, take advantage of, more or less, because of its poverty, right? Relative to to its neighbors, it's not so much in poverty that it would be compared to some place like, you know, Ethiopia a couple decades ago. Right. But it's you know it's poor, okay. and and so it's a it's a place that China can potentially try to influence. Uh, and potentially try to invest in. But if Russia goes into Moldova, then China is likely to kind of softly support Russia in the background. They'll most likely stay pretty mum, for the most part. But in the background, they'll be supplying Russia, they'll be trying to help Russia... Uh, and large part because in what Russia is doing, they can find ways of justifying what they want to do in their near abroad, say, with Taiwan and, and others, right? So, so that is kind of the direction where China falls uh, on, on this. And, and we can't forget as well uh, Iran and, and Turkey. Um, so Iran is a key ally of, of Russia, Right. And it has, uh, a, a to a large degree, a stake in Russia's success, because if Russia is more powerful and more successful, then it can leverage that power and success to its own advantage as well. Sure. Right? So Iran, although they deny it, they've been helping supply the Russian army in Ukraine uh, as well. And, um, and I think this would be the same thing in, in any Moldovan scenario. And then Turkey is kind of your wild card because of the, the region of, of Turks and Gagosia. And, and so Turkey has kind of tried to play a tightrope recently with being part of NATO, but also having some overtures to Russia, buying Russian military supplies, but then supplying Ukraine with the, the Bayraktar drones, which have been so helpful to the Ukrainians. So, so Turkey has, is one to watch okay. in, in all of this as well because it has a vested interest in remaining a, a key power over the Black Sea region too. And, and so they're, they're kind of a, a wild card interesting in this whole scenario.
0: Interesting. Okay. And so bringing it back in, generalizing why Transnistria and Moldova are important and play an important part in what's happening and why every American should care about Moldova and Transnistria and what happens to it. right. So,
1: you know, at face value, Moldova doesn't look like something that, that, Anybody really would would value or care much about outside of any kind of altruistic sense of you know national sovereignty, national self-determination, and those basic principles that we do still hold dear in our uh, in our country, right? Um, at the same time, however, if you are looking at the more hard, important principles, right? Sovereignty is still an issue because we don't want to live in a world where might makes right. We want to live in a world where there are rules that constrain certain activities and, and where you are, are going to respect human rights and respect human freedom, right? So that aspect of it does remain here as well. Uh, but in terms of some of the more, you know, practical matters, uh, if if. Moldova is allowed to be absorbed into, into Russia in one way or another, or is co-opted by Russia through you know, regime change and then stationing of troops and, and whatnot. Uh, it provides Russia a closer base of operations to attack other members of NATO, such as Romania and Slovakia and Poland. Uh, but it also allows Russia in the near term a base of operations to further Develop their war in Ukraine and attack from the back door, which again impacts um, food supply across the world, uh, impacts uh, fertilizer supply across the world. It impacts um, it impacts a lot of our activities in the Black Sea region uh, for for general peace and security in the region. Uh, if we don't deter it, then it signals weakness to uh to russia which we've already done anyway with afghanistan and and other uh other debacles right uh it's no accident that the russians invade uh reinvade ukraine in, in february of 22 right because we've signaled our unwillingness to to do anything about it um at that point right and so then you have if if russia is successful in ukraine it's emboldened to continue going after its neighbors, including some of our allies, which then again leads us to a you know Anschluss, Sudetenland, Poland, um, uh, beginning of World War II looking scenario. Not that this would necessarily happen, but we would be looking at something that rather looks like a a broader worldwide conflict if again this happens uh to where Russia is emboldened to act right again not that that would happen but it could and we want to show that we're willing to prevent that Um, additionally it could embolden some kind of escalate to de-escalate strategy in order to co-opt more and more control over eastern europe by forcing the west to back down through some kind of hyper aggressive means Um, these are all scenarios that could happen not saying they will happen, right. but they would be adverse to our, our interests in, um, in foreign policy. And additionally, it would be putting our allies in, in jeopardy, right? Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, uh, Poland, Slovakia, Romania, all of these on the eastern flank would be in significantly greater peril if Ukraine falls and if Moldova falls. Right. So, with Russia and Russian strategy appearing like its its big fantasy is to reverse the outcome of the Cold War, and and rebuild the Soviet Union, rebuild the Russian Empire, whichever whichever one you want to name, they're very similar to one another. Um, You have greater potential for destabilization and. Violence in, in Eastern Europe if Russia is allowed to succeed.
0: And that spreads throughout. That will start to spread throughout the rest of the world. Exactly. right,
1: And, and we may find ourselves in a position where uh, as, as Russia becomes the aggressor, right, other countries seeking to avoid attack by Russia will try to cooperate with it, much like, uh, much like in the beginning of World War II, where countries allied with Hitler not because of any real ideological affinity with him but to gain protection from both uh, protection against him and against Stalin sure. because of their mutual aggressiveness in, in in Europe and so you could potentially see a situation where the United States's power and influence is significantly reduced and that again goes back to the question of who do you want to be in charge of the you know the I hate to use the phrase world system because it's a commonly misunderstood phrase here. Um, But who do you want to be in charge of, you know, the way the world operates, right? right? Not saying that there's any kind of one world government at this point in time. Right. Um, But, uh, but anyhow, the, the system in, in which the world operates, the rules by which most countries abide, who do you want to be in charge of that? Do you want us or do you want the Russians and the Chinese and the authoritarian model? Right? That's, uh, that's where that boils down to.
0: Sure. Well, that, that mm-hmm. does a great uh, job explaining Moldova, the breakaway region of Transnistria that's been ex- in existence since the collapse of the Soviet Union, Transnistria's sympathies to Russia, and some undermining some influence uh, and control that Russia still holds over Transnistria, why that affects what's happening in and with the Russian-Ukraine war and kind of the consequences of allowing Moldova and Transnistria to fall to Russia. Um, It all has an effect. It all will affect security in the immediate region, in the short term, long term, affect security globally as Russia is allowed to continue pushing this bozo plan.
1: Right. Pushing the envelope, pushing its boundaries, and and trying to reverse the outcome of the Cold War. Sure.
0: Um, let's maybe do something a little different. I, went at, I was watching some other discussion on Russia-Ukraine, and this former CIA officer, Bustamante, is popular on YouTube, and he kind of... Started to allude that there this conspiratorial idea that our involvement in Russia Ukraine is not what we say it is as the United States, not to protect democracy and freedom, but we're doing it because of the financial benefit to us here at home. We've had some trolls on our YouTube channel alluding to the same thing. This is funding Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, etc. It's going to help boost our economy because we are in a bad place. And I choose not to believe that. Uh, I think we are doing it for the furtherance of democracy and doing what's right and doing what's just. But I do think there is a secondary benefit to our economy that's not being overlooked. This secondary mm-hmm. benefit of, of, No, these these exports is something that is thought about, but it's not the primary pushing factor of why we're doing what we're doing. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, again, we can look back at World War II, right? World War II got us out of the Great Depression, right? But that's not why we went to war, right? (laughs) Right, and and so here in in this context, I think one of the big things that you can really point to is at the very beginning. Uh, President Biden was actually very hesitant to act in Ukraine, and and that hesitance emboldened Russia even more. Um, for a long time, our policy on Ukraine was completely incoherent, and and we've we've made a lot of improvements, yes, in the last couple months uh, in that direction in our resolve. Uh, but for a long time, the leaders in 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 combating Russian aggression in Ukraine. Were Poland, the Baltics, and Great Britain, right? Um, And we were really kind of off to the sidelines uh, at at the very beginning. Now, in in relation to you know the the charges about the military industrial complex and and that sort of thing, I mean, obviously they're going to benefit from this. Uh, There's no way around that, right? But again, is that really your purpose? Right. Right? You can choose to believe that it is, uh, but at the end of the day. Uh, we we really are, um, you know, as as far as American public support for uh, for Ukraine, it does boil down to protection of national sovereignty, human rights, individual freedom, national freedom, right. And uh, and when we look at the the issues related to our our economic ties to Ukraine, uh, I'll remind you again. Uh, for those who kind of feel like Biden is somehow bought and sold by Ukraine, that most of his policies... And the Chinese and the Russians right, and everybody else. Right. You know, most of his policies would show that um, that really he's actually helped Russia more until the last couple months than he has anything with Ukraine. In fact, the, the, the Hunter Biden issue was keeping Ukraine down, and it was under a pro-Russian presidency, under a pro-Russian oligarch, all of this kind of thing that we talked about already. Uh, on top of that, he refused to give lethal aid to Ukraine when Russia first invaded it in 2014, right? So, so that that argument kind of flies out the window, uh, especially then when you consider green lighting Nord Stream two by the removal of sanctions. All of those things helped Russia, right. not Ukraine. So that's garbage, right? Yeah, <laughs> and it has been garbage for for the whole time. Um. And, and there's lots of people that, that I would admire and respect on, on especially domestic policy, but they're just dead wrong on that issue. Sure. And that's the, the bottom line there. Um, and, and so here you would have again, right, as we're finally kind of stepping forward and taking more and more of a leadership role instead of a backseat role, uh, it really is at the end of the day about preserving uh, American interests in, uh, in Ukraine. And among those are the altruistic ones related to freedom and international sovereignty. Of course, there's economic impacts, right? We can't deny that, but that's not the reason we're there.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's what I choose to believe. And I think it's important that anybody listening to our show understands that that really is why we're doing what we're doing. Um, you'll hear things about the, the money, it's all about the money. It's all about, there are these corrupt deals taking place. And as you just alluded to or discussed, and I'm alluding to, it's, there is that secondary benefit, but that is not our primary motivation. And that is not what our country is doing in fighting Russia's aggression in Ukraine.
1: Right. and if that is something that leads you to side with a totalitarian regime that harms its own people that bombs maternity wards fires at nuclear power plants um, and is is actively attempting to slaughter as many people as it can then you know shame on you yeah. that country is not what it purports to be it is anything but a christian nation it is anything but a conservative nation uh it has never been either of those things uh don't let it fool you Right, and on top of that, right, if if the corruption is, you know, is is leading you to to side with a country that is even more corrupt, or not
0: even side, but just be disengaged, be disengaged and disinterested Mm -hmm. in this whole Mm -hmm. idea that, you know, America's lost their way. This is not the Mm -hmm. America that I used to know. This is there's Mm -hmm. we have corruption, we have. Mm
1: And all of these may be valid points, right. but at the same time, right. But they you, can be
0: valid and coexist with the truth.
1: Exactly. And, and to, to, to apply these illegitimately to this situation is losing the plot, sure. right? Uh, this is an area where we could and should have a lot of unity between, uh, between both parties. Um, but unfortunately, right now, this is, this is not the case. Sure.
0: Okay. Well, um, unless you have anything you want to add in closing out, um, this is Transnistria, Moldova, how it is a piece of the puzzle of Russia, Ukraine, and Russia's further aggression. I think it's important that every American understands why Moldova is important, why we're sending tax dollars to Moldova, and it all impacts our lives here at home.
1: Yes. And, and on that last, that last point, there is a difference between good aid and bad aid, right? Good True. aid furthers our, our, uh, our national interests in strategic areas. It advances those interests and it does so responsibly. Bad aid doesn't, right? But not all aid is bad aid, right? right? There is still that which is strategic and which does advance American interests abroad.
0: Absolutely. All right. That's going to be a wrap. Episode four of International Affairs. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe on our YouTube page because we're giving away signed copies of Jim Wilson's book, To Catch a Spy. In two weeks, we'll randomly select one person and be in touch to mail out that copy. And we'll see you guys next week for episode five. Have a good night.